If you want to open your Bible, go ahead and open to the book of Acts. You can turn on over to chapter 4. If you've been with us on Sunday nights, you know we have been doing a study within a study. Our overall study has been about how God grows His church. And one of the ways that He does that, as we have seen here in the early church in the book of Acts, was through the persecuting of His people. We have seen the reality of the persecution against the church from the Word of God. We've seen the root of that persecution. It comes from the spiritual war that is there, the enemy, the Satan himself, who is in war with the Lord. We saw the various reasons last time we were together of how it is that uh, the unbelieving world brings persecution against the church. And tonight my intent was first to turn to how we should respond, the response to persecution, but before we do that, I wanted to come back and do a little different than what we typically do, is, is do a little survey again through the book of Acts and then looking at that survey to see what I call the rules of engagement for persecution. By rules of engagement, I mean how it is that the unbelieving world seeks to bring about persecution against the church. As we stop and think about that for us as believers here in America, by God's grace, we really have not faced some of the harshest persecution that other believers have faced throughout church history. And we can go back to the early settlers of our land that were fleeing from the religious persecution that they were facing. Thus, in the framing of our Constitution, they built within our Constitution the idea of religious freedom. But sadly, as I'm sure most, if not all of you know here, as time has gone by, our nation has drifted from those principles. The attitude of Americans has shifted to more of a secular thought. And with that shift, there have been now changes also in quite a bit of our educational institutions and in our courts and our legislative bodies. This attitude that has shifted against Christianity and this has led to a different understanding even in the way the Constitution was originally written. The intent of the authors when they were speaking about religious freedom. That now today the Constitution has been turned on its head in this area to say that it's teaching that we are to be free from religion instead of free of religion. The freedom of religion. And this has led to attempts to removing expressions of faith from the public arena of discourse. And because of this, persecution is moving more and more towards us as believers. If you stop and you think about it, there have been two horrific decisions that have been made in the courts, in the Supreme Court, that directly we know go against the Word of God. There was the legalizing of murder with abortion and the legalizing of marriage that is not defined as God would define it between a man and a woman. And because of this, in the recent years and the way things have shifted, the way things have moved, you stop and you think about more persecution is going to come to us as believers 
in different ways, in different fashions. In fact, we're already facing them. There was a mission training center several years ago over in Boston that pressure was brought against them to either accept homosexuals or homosexuality or face the consequences for that. And sadly, that institution decided to buckle and to begin to accept homosexuality for those that would be in the mission field. There have been those with with Christian colleges, Christian universities that are going to face more persecution, more pressure that's going to come against them because just like many of the other public institutions, they receive federal money. And when you receive federal money, at some point, the federal government is going to move in to bring pressure upon them to change some of their ideas, to change some of their standards that they have if they want to continue to receive the aid that they're receiving. I know also there, uh, in recent years, there was some correspondence between a particular judge over in California with a pastor where he was writing that now he was facing the possibility down the road of losing his position as a judge because now, because the government and the Supreme Court has decided that a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman, because he's a judge, there are people who are going to come before him to be married under those particular situations and he being a loving Christian who knows Christ knows this is something he would not be able to sanction he would not be able to participate in but because of that it could lead to the eventually him losing his job there's already some insurance companies that are starting to tell churches that they will cover them except on the areas if the lawsuits are brought against them in the area of homosexuality or in the area of same-sex marriage. All these things are being done to bring pressure upon the church to surrender, to bow to the pressure. We've seen this, you know, over the last several years of businesses that are being fined because of their stance, because they're conducting their business according to their, their Christian faith. And they're being fined, some of them, to the point of going out of business. Laws have been now passed that go against the word of God. That's going to have a severe impact on God's people. In fact, there's also even been a movement to bring an end to tax-exempt status for churches, for religious institutions. And one of the main supporters of that really has as their cause, ultimately they want to shut down these institutions. As Denny Burke, a, a professor over at Southern Seminary, Southern, Southern Baptist Seminary, said, quote, a call for ending tax exemption for religious institution is a call to close them down or at least to plunder them of their property, end quote. Love it, I don't know if you stop and you think about that, especially for some of the college institutions, Christian colleges, that are out there today, and even for churches, if all of a sudden the tax-exempt status was removed, the costliness now of of property taxes and all that would hit against those institutions. I bring those to your attention as we prepare to look here in Acts because we're going to see here in the book of Acts some of the same types of rules of engagement. And by rules of engagement, I'm saying how it is they look to bring 
persecution against the church. And what you're going to see is they try to pressure the church to go against Christ, to go against His Word, to go against the Word of God. They want to pressure the church through persuasion, through politics, through physicality and the threat of death, the threat of persecution physically to people. And even through the, by the persuasion, I mean the persuading of the people, stirring their minds, stirring them against Christianity. Because what they're wanting to do is to shut down the message, shut down and discredit the messengers, stir the people against Christ and against the church. Seek the help of, of politicians. Seek the help of courts to bring about, uh, speak against uh, the gospel, to speak against the word of God in such a way to cause it to lose credibility in the eyes of more people in the world. And that's exactly what we see here in the book of Acts. You stop and you look at it. Let's start here in chapter 4. This section really begins in chapter 3 with, with Peter who's preached the, is preaching the gospel. People get saved and as we read before in the opening two verses of chapter 4, some of the religious leaders are greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And we see them pressure them now physically by laying hands on them in verse 3, putting them in jail until the next day for it was already evening. And why are they bringing pressure upon them? Because they want to shut down the message. They want to shut this message down about Jesus Christ and salvation in Christ alone. And so as they're doing that, they continue to bring pressure from being physical with them, threatening them. Because it tells us in verse 17, so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And they summoned them and they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. In verse 21, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no, no basis on which to punish them on account of the people. Because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. And I bring this to your attention, beloved, because at this point, they couldn't use the persuasion of the people. They couldn't persuade the people at this point to turn against the apostles, to turn against Christianity. But they're not going to stop. They're going to keep moving forward with their tactics. You get over to Acts chapter 5. And look over in Acts chapter 5 again, where we have them being arrested and we're told in verse 33 that they hear the message that Peter was speaking and they are cut to the quick and they intend to kill them. So their intent is to bring the pressure of actually bringing them to death. But a particular Pharisee steps in and when he steps in, he, he, he causes them to stop from doing what it is they were planning on doing, but they still bring the pressure of physicality against them because in verse 40 it says, they took his advice and after calling the apostles in, in they flogged them and ordered them again not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. Notice again, what do they want? They just want these Christians to be quiet. 
They want them to stay in their own little circle. If they want to gather together for themselves and worship God, that's fine. Just don't go outside the doors of where you worship and keep spreading this message. Be quiet about it. They want to shut the message down, particularly shutting down the message of going out and proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Here this past week, I was watching an old uh, interview or old show on Larry King. Remember when Larry King used to come on CNN? And it was, it, was a, it was a show he was putting on because at that time, the Southern Baptists were getting ready to meet together at their convention. And they were looking to intentionally want to go out to share the good news of salvation to the Jewish community. And some in the Jewish community were highly offended at this. And this one man that was on there, this Jewish rabbi that was on there, he was saying how offensive it was for someone to tell them that they were insufficient, to tell them that they needed something else, that they needed Jesus as their Messiah, and they needed Jesus as their Savior, and that they would prefer that Southern Baptists keep their mouths shut, basically. And don't go around trying to tell us about Christ. They wanted them to shut down the message. And that's the same thing that we see here that's taking place in the early church. We notice they bring the pressure against them. They're flogging them of physicality, just wanting them to remain quiet. Then we look over in Acts chapter 6. Here in Jerusalem, where they're, they're, they're facing persecution again, and we find it coming here in the person of Stephen. And this persecution is going to pick up here first. They try the pressure of persuasion. There in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 6, where there, some of the leaders are rising up and arguing with Stephen. But when the art of persuasion, the pressure persuasion did not work because verse 10, they were unable to cope with his wisdom and with the spirit with which he was speaking. They now begin in verse 11 to secretly induce men to say, here it is, this pressure of persuasion wanting to seduce the people that were there to turn against them. They're trying to undermine the credibility of Stephen and undermine the credibility of the gospel message. We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. This is the very thing very similar thing I saw the other night as I watched that show that was from several years ago. This one particular rabbi, he was making these false claims, false witnessing against Christianity and against what it is that the Southern Baptists were trying to do. Like they can't cope with the wisdom of what's being said, so they want to come and bring out things that aren't even true. Ultimately, know with Stephen how it ended with the pressure of death. They put him to death. And you look over at the end of chapter 7, the stoning of Stephen. And then it just gets worse after that into chapter 8. 
Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. In verse 3, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women and he would put them in prison. And we're not going to read back through those passages again, but remember last Sunday night we looked at a couple other passages where Paul was testifying before uh, some political leaders and he was telling them about the life he was living and his persecution against the church and how much he thought it was necessary for him to shut down this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he was willing to bring such physical pressure against the people that he was willing to torture them to the point of trying to get them to blaspheme and to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the pressure that they were facing. So we've seen it. You stop and you think about it. The church began in Acts chapter 2. We move from Acts chapter 2 to chapter 3 and 4 and we see persecution. Chapter 5, persecution. Chapter 6, persecution. Chapter 7 with Stephen, persecution. Chapter 8 now with Saul against the church and all the others, persecution. Look over in Acts chapter 9 for a moment. In Acts chapter 9, we actually have the conversion of Saul. So Saul will now be on the other end of the persecution. And we find there beginning in verse 19 that for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus, that this Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. So we see here, they first try the art of persuasion, the pressure of persuasion, thinking they could go against Paul. But just like with Stephen, they couldn't cope with his wisdom. They couldn't cope with his understanding of the word of God. And they get to a place of frustration because of that. So they turn to being physical. And here they're wanting to bring Paul to death. And they're plotting and they're looking for the right opportunity to kill this man because they want to shut down the message of the gospel. That's in Damascus. In verse 26, it tells us he came to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 28 that he was with them, that is with the disciples, and he was moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. Again, you notice the pattern? They first try to enter into the art of persuasion, going against Paul, but they can't deal with what Paul is saying. They can't deal with the wisdom in which he can speak from the word of God, and they reach the point of frustration. Thus, they just want to put him to death, take him off the scene. The pressure of physicality, the pressure of persuasion. We see them trying to turn more even the people. You look over now and jump for a moment to Acts chapter 12. 
Go to Acts chapter 12. Where we see now more of the political world gets involved of that day. And verse 1 says, Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on the some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So clearly we're seeing here persecution coming in the form of physical death. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And we talked about that last week, that one of the things they look to is in the area of politics when they're trying to get people on their side and they see that more people will be on their side for bringing persecution against God's people, against the church, then they're going to they're do that. They're going to use the measures that are there. And this is what Herod's doing. The pressure of politics, the pressure of physicality, with a desire of seeking to please the people, of pleasing the people. Look over in Acts chapter 13. Here is Paul and Barnabas have been sent out by the church. They don't get out very far. And they're preaching the gospel. And as they were proclaiming the word of God there in verse 5 in the synagogue, synagogues of the Jews, they also had John as their helper. And it says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician that is there. And they're, they're speaking here. And this Elimus the magician was there also trying to oppose them in verse 8, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Again, we see pressure being placed there through persuasion, trying to turn those that were in places of authority away from the faith, away from the truth. You continue on, they continue moving to other areas. You look over in, look over in verse 45 for a moment. Acts chapter 13. Now they've come to an area called Pisidian Antioch. And again, you would think some wonderful things would be going on here. Paul and Barnabas show up. They begin to preach the gospel. There are people that are hungering for the gospel. You look back up in verse 42. Paul and Barnabas were going out and the people kept begging them that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath saying, come back, come back, Paul and Barnabas. We want to hear you again. We want to hear some more of what it is that you have to say. And many in verse 43 had already believed. Many of the Jews, the God-fearing proselytes, followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So the next Sabbath comes, and nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. We think here's a, here's a revival about to take place. Nearly every single person in the city here of Pisidian Antioch is coming out to hear the gospel. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And here it is. They begin contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Again, they're trying to bring pressure. I call it the art or the pressure of persuasion that is there trying to turn the people away. And when they do this, Paul and Barnabas eventually turn away from them and turn to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles in verse 48 are just rejoicing at this, glorifying the word of the Lord. 
And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. But notice verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. There they are, stirring up the people, persuading the people, you need to turn against these two men. You need to turn against what it is they're doing. They're turning to some of the political leaders in that city and saying you need to turn against these Christians and what it is that they're preaching, what it is that they're teaching. You need to drive them out. You need to shut them down. And that's exactly what they did. Paul and Barnabas move on. We go to chapter 14. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. Verse 2, but the Jews, who disbelieved, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord and were testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and and wonders were being done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And then there's an attempt that's made both by the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them. Obviously, they become aware of this and they flee to other cities. But do you see that same pattern again? Here it is. They're trying to stir up the people. They're trying to persuade the people, in particular trying to persuade the leaders in those communities to turn against the gospel, to turn against Christians, to turn against the, the word of God. Stirring the people up to a point where they want to use the pressure of physicality, of, being, of mistreating them, and even to the point of wanting to stone them to death. You look over, you look over and stay in chapter 14. Paul goes, they leave there and they go to Lystra. And down in verse 19, a similar event happens. Look at verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds. Don't skip over that phrase. They won over the crowds. And once they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. They come into town and they begin to stir up the people, persuade the people, till they finally get the majority of the crowd to be on their side. And once they have the majority of the crowd on their side, then they act. And that's when they bring the physical persecution against them. So we see this unfolding again. Look over, go over to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, where Paul is there in Philippi. And we've talked about this, that he had an effect on a young lady that was delivered from this spirit of divination. And she's now since become a follower of Christ. And this has cost them financially and we see in verse 19 when her master saw that her hope of profit was gone they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities 
And when they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and they're proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. He threw them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. Again, we see what happens. Some folks get upset with the message and what the effects of the message. They turn to the chief magistrates and they stir up the people and they get them all working together till they finally come to a conclusion and then they act. And they go against the messengers of God wanting to shut down this message. Look over in Acts chapter 17. Paul comes to Thessalonica. Same pattern. He goes to the synagogues displays from the word of God that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Christ, people believe it. Verse 5, but the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. And they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they didn't find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. And they all all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. When they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Did you find something similar there? One, they stirred up the crowd. They turned to the authorities. And they're moving the people to turn against the Christians that are there. They're getting the community in an uproar to the place where something's going to be acted upon these believers. Did you also notice something that was very similar to what happened to Jesus himself? Notice the message they were preaching there in verse 7. Saying these guys are going around saying things that are contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Saying that there's another King Jesus. You remember that's what the crowd when they appealed to Pilate. Remember they, they, they appealed to Pilate saying he, he claims to be the king of the Jews. We have no other king except Caesar. We have no other king above us. They're doing the same thing here. Turning, trying to use the, the laws and the people of, in authority to bring persecution against them. Look, if you will now for a moment, stay in chapter 17, verse 10, Paul goes to Berea. And when he goes to Berea, he begins to speak the gospel. The Bereans search it out and examine the scriptures carefully and they notice what he says is right and they believed it. Many of them believed it in verse 12. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea, also they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So Paul and Barnabas end up leaving again. You know, no wonder when you look at this, no wonder Paul wrote what he wrote. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this very carefully. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, do you remember what Paul wrote there? He was writing to the church at Thessalonica. 
And he says this beginning in verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Saying, look, they're not just satisfied with disagreeing with us, they go around hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. They're hostile. And that's what we have seen throughout as we have looked at each one of these situations. You go over to chapter 18 of Acts. Paul comes to Corinth. And while he's in Corinth, he's preaching the gospel there and people are getting saved and the Lord tells him to stay there. There's more people that are going to be saved and Paul does. Then in verse 12 and verse 13, some of the Jews that were there in one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Then in verse 17, though they can't get their hands on Paul, they get their hands on another leader there that had, was the leader of the synagogue that apparently come to know Christ as Savior and Lord and as Messiah. And so they begin to beat him in front of the judgment seat. Galileo, he wasn't concerned about that. They didn't have any concern to him. Chapter 19, go over there for just a moment. Here he's in Ephesus. And he entered the synagogue in verse 8 and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, and they were doing this before the people, Paul's action then says, I'm going to withdraw from them and take away the disciples. Begin reasoning daily in another school. Because they were speaking evil of the way. Continue on there in Ephesus, go down to verse 23 and 24. It says, about that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. Demetrius sees again that this is having an impact on his profit, an impact on his financial, financials and his business and all of what they're doing. So he turns to those of the union that were there to turn against the Christians. And we see that it was effective because in verse 28, when they heard this, they're filled with rage. And the city, verse 29, is filled with confusion. And they rush in there with one accord. And they begin dragging out some of the traveling companions of Paul from Macedonia. And they were bringing persecution against them. Go over to Acts chapter 21. And what do we see when Paul gets back to Jerusalem? Verse 27, when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man. You see, they've been going around talking about Paul and said, this is him. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he's even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. In verse 30, all the city was provoked and the people rushed together and they're taking hold of Paul and they drag him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. 
And they're seeking to kill him. And they would have killed him, except for a Roman cohort commander intervenes on his behalf. Thus they stopped beating Paul. They would have beat him to death right there. One other place just to think about in Acts 23. In Acts 23, Paul again, this is, a, this is the most interesting one. In verse 12, when it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath saying that we will neither eat nor drink until they have killed Paul. I wonder if they kept that promise. Because Paul got away. And there was more than 40 who formed this plot against him, desiring to kill this man. Brother, I wanted just to walk through that to say this, that some of these same rules of engagement, some of these same strategies are beginning to slowly play out in our nation as well. That what does it take for someone to be offended by the gospel, to be offended by just the word of God, to be offended by the truth of scripture? And what do they do? They begin to go and turn to those who are in authority to turn them to bring persecution against the church, to shut down the message. They seek for help in the courts. They seek for help from the politicians. And now, as I said, because our society and our nation, sadly, has drifted more and more away from the word of God, politicians now are much more willing to pass the kind of laws that we've seen that they know is going to bring some very difficult decisions upon Christians and what it is they're going to do and how it is they're going to live their lives and conduct their businesses. They know this, but they also know that they've get, they're getting more and more of the majority on their side. So because of that, they're willing now to act. You see, they're willing now to act and bring the persecution against the people of God. They look to stir people up. We see this today in different venues. When something's happening, you've seen this even here in our own community of Gina. When something happens, some things take place, and the next thing you know, there are people that are just stirring the pot, stirring the people, just trying to get more and more on their side to come against what's taking place. They're speaking out against what it is that we say, trying to undermine it. They're seeking to use the government to shut the word of God down, the practicing of our faith. So, beloved, as you think about that, just know it's moving in. And the thing is, it was just creeping along, but now it's, it's hitting a jog. And it's just going to keep picking up pace. That's why we should pray, obviously, for true, genuine revival within our nation. To see people truly born again. To see those who are in leadership truly born again. And knowing Christ as their Savior. And, and having a willingness to stand for the, for the Word of God. That's very difficult in the day and time in which we live. So understand what's taking place. 
and understand what we face. And now that we know, as I say, the root of this and the reasons for this, and we see the rules of engagement for this and how it is that that we will see them come after us, what's supposed to be our response? Well, I hope you're beginning to see some of it just as we've been reading through these different sections. And we'll look back at some of those and begin to see how it is, how did Paul respond? How did Jesus respond? How did Peter respond? We can learn from them. Again, especially Jesus, as we talked about this morning, he can be a model for us. How was it that Jesus responded? And we can look at Paul. How was it that Paul responded? And it's very interesting sometimes because you're going to see on some occasions where Paul would actually flee the area. And then there's some occasions whenever they would say, Paul, if you go over here, you're going to face persecution. And Paul would say, I'm going. I'm going to face it. But there was times when there was certain persecution that Paul would be ushered out of the city and go to other places to keep preaching the gospel. How should we respond? Well, I'll just say this. I hope that you will have the resolve in your heart to respond by staying true to God, staying true to his word. Because let me just close with this. What did Jesus say? Don't fear. Don't fear the one that can touch your body. Don't fear the one that can do something to you here in this life. You fear the one that can actually throw your soul into hell. And that's God. And you just trust him. Again, what can they do to us? What ultimately can they do to us? They want to take our life? Well, what have we learned? Where do we go? We go immediately into the presence of of Christ. There's really no threat in that sense when we stop and we think about it. But we just have to have a conviction and a commitment to the Lord and to his word and to his cause. I want to ask you to to bow your head for a moment in prayer.